I'm not going to write Torah three times for you, Pat. I love you, but there are limits. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Melissa Kirscher and Wendy Bowlesby. listeners to Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am Melissa and this is my co-host, Wendy, who seems to never leave Minnesota, even though she has moved away to Austin. Here she is in my living room again. I don't know. It's so strange. It's crazy. And we are also here with Pat. Yay, Pat. Yay, Pat. Pat is back. I am back. Pat Wick is here with us. From two. Yeah. It is an even-numbered episode, which means we've been drinking for a couple hours already. Oh, Not yeah. Pat. Pat is still on her iced tea with sugar. So, I don't know. Maybe she'll get all hopped up on sugar, but I'm not holding and my breath. caffeine. Mm, caffeine's important. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. I have been drinking... Melissa started me out with the red wine like we do, but then she's like, here's this cider I found at RC Liquors. RC Liquors, by the way. Municipal can- liquor store. They Okay, all the profits go to the Parks and Lakes in Robbinsdale, which means you are drinking for the good of the community, and that's amazing. Right? Yeah, I know, right? Like, I am drinking and I am drunk, and the community benefits from it. Yes. What's not to like? It's awesome. Except, here's... Like always, my constant complaint is that I sound drunk and Melissa don't, don't, doesn't, and it pisses me off. Anyway, so Melissa brought home this cider that is called Original Sin, and it is super good, listeners. So I've had a couple of glasses of red wine, and now I'm on my second cider, and this is super great. What are you drinking, Melissa? I am drinking a beer, because I found a Bauhaus Brew Lab's Schwantoberfest. That is some really beautiful graphic design. The, the graphic design on this is amazing. It, and just like the name Bauhaus, it's a very Bauhaus design. It's super, super designed. You should take a picture beautiful. of that and put that on the website. Or, you know, just link to the website, which I'm sure has the same amount of design on it. Well, you would hope. But what if they don't? If they don't, then that's wrong. But it's a Bavarian-style fest beer. And, uh, you know, one of those things that comes out in October and is delightful. And it's very it's very smooth and very easy to drink. And um, therefore, it's already finished. Uh, but <laughs> it is in my stomach, and I am happy. So here it is, mid-October. I am up in Minnesota where it is, I have to say, Fucking lovely. This is one of the best times to be in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. This is beautiful. And what I did is I left summer because summer is still happening in Austin (laughs) and came up here to where it is when we arrived 30 degrees. What the actual hell? And now it's 70 and it's beautiful and the the leaves are turning and it's fantastic. And I think I'm going to get that in about a month down in Austin. Like sometime in November, I think that might happen. So you're really just like spreading out your fall. You're coming and see our fall, then you're going home to see your fall. I think it's the first time I've done it. All I know is that sometime around January, I might need a hoodie. (sighs) I know, right? That's only for this first year. Next year, 
you're going to be wearing your parka. Because I'm going to be so cold. Oh, my God. I hope to Christ I'm not. Don't get me wrong. I am already forgetting that, like, oh, shit, it can turn 30 degrees in October? Yeah. That's fucked up, man. And it can I, snow in July in Minnesota. You know this. That's okay. no. That's the only month in Minnesota that it's oh, never had snow. I'm sorry. It can snow in June and August and August, just not July. Not July. Oh, that's fucked up. Okay, I would have brought a better coat, but I, I couldn't find it. <laughs> I could give you a coat, but you drowned in it. That's true. I packed them all away in a box, and the box is somewhere in my garage, and I haven't found it yet. So it's not, listeners, it's not that I have completely forgotten what the Minnesota climate is like. It's more that I couldn't adequately arm myself for it. I hope I do not turn into that person who can't remember what cold is like. But I will tell you that when I arrived in Minnesota and it was 30 degrees, my brain went, this is why I goddamn moved. So, Melissa, what's our topic for tonight? War. <laughs> <laughs> Grr. Grr. Uh, wait let's be japanese about it Ooh. Oh. No, we're, we're talking about war movies dear listeners <laughs> any when, kind of war movie like when we were looking at list starship troopers popped up that's a war movie it is a war movie so is aliens so is aliens aliens mm. is a goddamn good war movie fuck yeah Fuck yeah. Is it an actual war movie? It's they're, a war movie. They're fighting the aliens and they got big old guns. It's a battle. It's a battle. I would not qualify it as a war movie. Mm. Well, that's just because the aliens haven't figured out where the front is yet. I still wouldn't qualify it as a full war. Starship Troopers? Absolutely. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I'm saying it's a difference between, you know, war. I mean, an alien invasion, well, maybe? Well, no. Mars I'd Attacks say, is more of a war. I'd say it's a guerrilla war. Movie. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, mm, aliens, oh, I think, mm, is gorilla. Ah, mm, ah, small forces, yes. I'm still thinking it's groups of people having a battle. It's not a full-out war. Ah, okay. battle war. Mm. Speaking of aliens, side note. Yes. Um. So, uh, Romeo gave me all of the Blu-ray editions of all of the alien movies. Uh-huh. Which means that all of them have a making of that is amazing. And I have known for quite a long time that Michael Biehn was not the first choice for Hicks in Aliens. Yes. And for a long time, I've been like, well, who was? And I know I could have looked it up, but I didn't, blah, blah, blah. So here I am watching the making of, and you know who it was? Huh. It's the dude who's the dad in Dexter. No shit. Really? He was the, he was the original person cast for Hicks and... He has come out in the years since of, yeah, I was Hicks. The reason they canned me is I was fucking high on drugs. I've cleaned up since then, and it's one of my biggest regrets that, you know, all of the things that I missed out on because of my drug addiction, but I've cleaned up now and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, imagine the dad from Dexter is Hicks. (laughs) I bet he would be good. Yes. <laughs> right? Side note. Anyway, so, yeah. war movies. War movies. Because um, we we all have kind of a certain... Uh, I fucking love them. Affection for Absolutely. War yeah. Fantastic. Love yeah. war movies. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. satisfying. Yeah. they're And it's the, you know, 
facing death and heroism and, you know, also delving. Rising to the challenge and overcoming the odds. And also delving into the horrendous depths of humanity. You know, there's this tremendous drama that you can build into a war film. Character studies. Yeah. The successes, the failures. There's no guarantee who's going to be alive come the last reel. Oh, fuck no. And I think we can all agree we have spent enough money rescuing Matt Damon. Yes. True. True. Watch The Martian. <laughs> Which is a great movie. To come back to the point, war movies. War! I, war! Trust, I trust most of that is going to get cut out for oh God. a clips episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> Please make sense of this later, Melissa. Future Melissa, I'm so sorry. Future Melissa, I am sorry. <laughs> Pat, however, is unrepentant. Why wouldn't I be? <laughs> All right, who's going to start us out with a war movie? All right, somebody pick a war movie. Torah, Torah, Torah. Yeah! Torah that- times three. A war movie so big they named it three times. Three times! <laughs> three times. For people who do not know, it is a loose, uh, I mean, it's not it's accurate, but not totally, of uh, the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor at starting off America's involvement in World War II. Mm-hmm. And Tora Tora Torga is uh, literally tiger, tiger, tiger. And it was the code phrase that the Zero Bombers were to radio back if their sneak attack went to plan. And if everything went right, that's what they would say. And that's why it's Tora Tora Tora. Mm-hmm. I say it three times. Yes, you did. Not no, yet. <laughs> no, that's, that's the yes. thing that repeats in um, military and other command structures like... I encountered it a lot in Heinlein, weirdly. Like, I mm-hmm. say it to you three times. Like, there is um, something in both coding and command and military structures that by saying it the third time that you are acknowledging and. So not just Torah, but Torah, Torah, Torah. And in case there's problems with communication, yeah. you actually heard what is said. Right. Heard, understood, acknowledged. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, wow. And it is a movie done uh, by two different directors. Uh, the there's a Japanese director that did all the uh, the Japanese mm-hmm. cast for their side of it, and then there's an American director who did all the American cast for our side of well, mostly sitting on our asses and not doing what we should do to prepare for war. Mm-hmm. Well, we and, didn't think the, we were going to be involved in the war, and this is the thing: is that all these great war movies from that era, we have come far enough away from it now that it's like. Have you seen that? I I don't think I can trust that you've seen that. Everybody should have seen that, right? Not necessarily anymore. Yeah. And and the, I mean, we talked a little bit about Tori 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 in our Kurosawa episode because Kurosawa was originally going to be the Japanese director on the project. And he no longer was because they threw him off the project. Yes. But... Uh, you know, some of his I feel work like that's when I was exists. snoring. Yes, it was while you were snoring. Yeah, but true. <laughs> <laughs> I but, was so tired. Yeah, but it, it's a very good movie. The Japanese segments are, I feel, more interesting than than the American ones. Well, of course, because the Americans are sitting around on their thumbs. Well, yeah. Boop a doop. Who's gonna attack us? Boop a doop. Boop. Well, it, and and that section just wasn't as engaging either. I mean. And Planning subject. a sneak attack is always more interesting than sitting around being a dumbass. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also one of those things of being short-sighted in your defensive strategies. Right. Which almost 
Every time at the end of a military engagement, you figure out what happened last time that went so horribly wrong and you fix it so that that won't happen again, which is the reason we take our damn shoes off at the airport Mm -hmm. so they can look at our shoes because it happened once before. I know it's security theater, but that's kind of a lot of things when they were really terrified of the Japanese native population that was on the island that they were afraid of that kind of terrorism. They were not expecting a sneak attack with a couple hundred zeros coming in and doing all kinds of crazy bombs. By the way, I have always wanted to go to Hawaii to see the Arizona Memorial. It -hmm. is one of the more amazing things I've ever seen. It is truly fantastic. Is that the one that's on the water? They left... uh, It's... Yes. It's under... It's It's under the water. It's sunk... And they did, the way it exploded and sunk pretty much instantaneously, they never even tried to get anybody out because they were pretty positive there wasn't anybody left alive. Right. And then eventually, because of where it was, and they just left it there, they cut off, uh, they took off everything that was above the water, and they rescued everything they could equipment-wise above the water, and they just put the memorial over it. So you are on the memorial. It's this beautiful um edifice it's uh, white marble and it's open air but as you you can look out over and you are seeing this rusting battleship and it's got the 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 bell and it's got the wall of all of the names of everybody and it's still in an active uh harbor i mean pearl harbor is still an active military thing and so the part that's on land is the museum and the movies and all the things and it's really well done from a perspective of what the Japanese were doing what Americans were doing there's no racism in there at all it's this was just pure military and the the thought processes of the Japanese people and the government versus the American people and government and where we were thinking. And then you go over and you, you get a time tickets because you got a boat over and the U S Navy actually does all the shuttling back mm-hmm. and forth. It's beautiful. It's a really yeah. wonderful place. And you see even, you know, teenagers who are like, rah, 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 I don't want to be here. And then they get there and then they're just quiet. <laughs> but they also have the USS Missouri, which was the, uh, longest standing battleship that's now there. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the uh, USS Bofin, which is a submarine from World War oh, II, yeah, that's, that's right. also parked there. Neat. Okay, I'm going to... Anyways. Uh, to follow through on the World War One, I'm going to talk about Sergeant York. All right. Which is a movie that I feel like has gotten a little bit forgotten. Oh, yeah. Under, you, right? Because simply because there are so many great older movies that, like newer listeners, maybe you don't know about. Sergeant York stars Gary Cooper, mm-hmm. and it is it's just a fucking delightful film. It is based on a true story about a man who was a fucking redneck asshole. And there comes the point where he literally feels the hand of God at a church meeting hmm. and becomes a born-again Christian. And then World War One breaks out, and they call him up to active. They call him. They uh, they draft him, and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a conscientious objector." And in World War One, you couldn't do that. No. Mm. So they send him off anyway, and he doesn't believe in killing. But he was the best hunter of his um, Appalachian County. Yep. And so, what is so delightful about it is he ends up 
almost single-handedly saving his regiment in a battle because, because he's a really excellent turkey hunter. <laughs> so there's a great scene where he's got, they're like, we've got to take out that that artillery base up there of the Germans. And he's like, oh, okay. And so he's like trying to take out all the guys in the way. And he's like, I gotta get a, I gotta get a tink. And he makes a little turkey noise and they're like, what the actual fuck? Boom. (laughs) (laughs) And he shoots him. And he's like, ha ha. I guess I won. And then he goes and takes over their little point. And so he levels up and then it gradually he takes out the whole nest and he's a war hero. Yay. And they think they're being surrounded by like dozens of people because mm-hmm. he's just like sniping. He's going around being a great sniper, only a turkey hunter from his perspective. And they finally are like, oh, we got to surrender. And he comes back. It's a true story. And he comes back with, what, like 20 prisoners or something? Yeah. <laughs> all by himself. And they're all like, no way. There's no way one guy did all that. He's like, well, you said it needed to be taken out. It's, so it's, it is an underdog sports flick and a war film. So, And it's Gary Cooper. And Gary Cooper, if you've never experienced Gary Cooper, he oh, is yes. warm and likable. And he's got the most beautiful eyes. And, you, and it's a great... Oddly, Thanksgiving film because of the turkeys. And so we're coming up on Thanksgiving, so go rent Sergeant York and enjoy a World War One flick. It's super <laughs> delightful. What do you got, Melissa? Oh, I've got Kelly's Heroes. Of course you do! <laughs> so you talked about your Venn diagram of sports movie plus, <laughs> plus war movie. Kelly's Heroes is war movie plus heist movie. Ooh. <laughs> plus Donald Sutherland. Yay! Yeah, Okay, so, so um, Kelly's Heroes is this delightful, what is it, 1969, 1970s oh, film? I can look it up if you want. Um, it, it is set in World War II. There are tanks. There is Clint Eastwood, but I don't really remember Clint Eastwood much more than um, the rest of the cast. I mean, what most people remember about Kelly's... Yeah, what most people remember about Kelly's Heroes is um, Donald Sutherland as Oddball. <laughs> because he is bizarre. <laughs> he has this... Biz- He's kind of this surfer dude with a tank and a bizarre Canadian accent. And... Um, um, apparently Donald Sutherland was sick as a dog filming, like he, he had dysentery or something while filming this part, but what, whatever's on screen, he looks like he's high as a kite <laughs> <laughs> and it is weirdly delightful. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, 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 Carol O'Connor's in it, Don Rickles, Telly Savalas, um, the, the, the um, the supporting cast is just delightful to watch. It's just this arsenal of 1970s male actors doing silly fun things. And it's part, kind of part comedy. It's it's a war movie. It is guys who aren't necessarily quite on the up and up who decide to, you know, hey, we found out about some Nazi gold. Let's go get it. 
Oh my god, it's got Gavin McCloud. Yes, it does. It's got Captain Steubing. Yep, pre-Captain Steubing, yes. Yeah, but it's Captain Steubing. Yes, it is. Yep. That will mean something to my husband. It's it's a fun (laughs) movie. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. (laughs) I've been drinking. All right, my next one I'm going to do is... No Man's Land. Talk to us about this movie. All right. Uh, 2001 was the year it was up for uh, best, and it won best foreign language film. It won over Amelie. And I remember what being in the room and everyone was like, Amelie should have won. What? Why couldn't it? Why couldn't it? I so, would have been in the room going, yes. fucking Amelie should have won. And that's what we all were. And Tim and I, my husband, walked or watched it about two weeks later because we got it on, I think, DVD. Who cares? So we got it and we watched it. It is a, it's about the Bosnian War and it is a character study and it is a couple of men from both um, from opposite sides that are trapped in a um trench and one of them is laying on an unexploded mine but it's been triggered <sighs> so he's laying on it and he's injured but not really badly injured but he can't move but he can't move and neither can the other one so it's this character study and after this thing it's amazing and how they're you know they they fight with words and then they joke and it's the Bosnian war which if you don't know listeners is was really horrifying it was very racist and the religion aspects and then all of a sudden it's this fabulous character study and then the UN peacekeeper comes in but to try to help the situation but they realize they can't and i don't know do you care about spoilers what eventually the UN peacekeeper does um cuz they're not even supposed to help in this cuz they're supposed to help the convoys not with this situation so there's kind of this whole irony thing of the peacekeeper who won't help keep the peace. And what they eventually do is evacuate all... They stabilize the one guy who's on the bomb mm-hmm. and evacuate everybody else and then spread the news that he was rescued. And it ends with <gasps> him alive, alone, and injured on the bomb. Because there's nothing they can do. And it is intense. It is amazing. I mean, there's the spoiler, but it doesn't matter. It's still this great character character study. study, And it's fantastic. So we watched that and we're like, yeah, that was better than Amelie. Amelie's fantastic. And it's not just the whole war world win over comedies. It was, no, this was a really fucking fantastic movie. Oh, that sounds amazing. It is. If you can find it, I have no idea if it's streaming anywhere. Because I, fu- I fucking love Amelie, but that sounds amazing. It It is. And it's one of those things that uh, came out in 2001. And I've seen it then. And I might be able to watch it. Well, maybe now. It's been almost 15 years. But it's just that intense kind of, don't need to see this again. <laughs> it, re- it reminds me of the situation in 2007 when Pan's Labyrinth was up for Best Foreign Film Oscar. Yes. And it didn't win because it was up against Lives of Others. Which which was definitely amazing. Deserved it. Oh my god! Oh and my there, god! There are two war movies. They one are. of them's a wartime movie, and the other one is a war movie. Oh, the lives Among of others other is brilliant. Lives of others is amazing. Oh, that was a game changer. Ooh. All right, am I up next? You're up next. You're up next. Your turn. All right, you know what I'm going to talk about? 
I'm going to change things up a bit. I'm going to talk about a movie that I love and yet have real problems with. They died with their boots on. Okay. Okay, then. This is a movie about General George Custer. Oh, yes. Problematic. Really problematic. (laughs) Because this was made in the period where Custer was a hero. Like, in that time period. Wait a second. He was a hero into our... He was a he- I didn't realize he was a hero that late in their history. Oh, yeah. With oh, Errol Jesus. Flynn and Olivia de Havilland, yes. Yikes. Late into the 30s and 40s, George Custer was still a hero. Custer's last stand. Oh, that was a part of our history I wasn't yes. privy to. Yes, and this is why it's a really interesting movie, because... Yeah. It's got fucking Olivia de Havilland and and Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn is playing George Custer, which means that he is fucking charismatic and likable as goddamn hell because it's fucking Errol Flynn playing George Custer. And he's so great. Boy. And it's about their love story and them falling in love and then getting posted all the way out into nowhere in South Dakota and Custer wrecking and Custer recognizing that this was going that this is not like he's trying to communicate that this is going to go badly to whom to his superiors back in Washington. And that's they, not what happened. No. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, everybody knows that now, <laughs> but this is still when the Custer's last stand narrative was dominant, as opposed to Wounded Knee yeah. and all of that. Yeah. So that's what makes it sort of fascinating. Like, listeners, you should watch this film because it is important to watch a movie that represents our interpretation of the past. Mm -hmm. It is important to remember that this is what we thought was reality for a very long time and to recognize it as this is the story we told ourselves Mm -hmm. for a goddamn very long time before we, we woke up and went, Oh wait, we were the assholes in that story. Yeah. And that's why you should watch this movie. And it's a good movie regardless. It's really engaging and delightful because it's Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland. It's, it's made Marion and Robin Hood together again. <laughs> and they're so great together and so likable and charismatic. And at the same time, you watch the movie and go, Oh God, that's not what. Oh, God. This is the same time that they built Custer State Park. Oh, I remember visiting Custer State Park. (laughs) But it was done, I mean, it was named at the same time that they were making this movie, that it was a good thing. This wasn't, like, done in, like, the 1800s. Let's celebrate George Custer as a hero. Yikes. It's like watching a movie from the 30s with blackface. Oh, yeah. It used to be each year at the at Butnamathon, the movies have gotten a little bit more mainstream now, but every year at Butnamathon, Harry Knowles would purposely show us something that would have been swept under the rug because it's no longer PC. So whether it's something with really outdated race relations or, or you know, some other really... Sexism. Se- sexism, something truly shocking nowadays... Um, those were movies that don't get shown now just because of we, we those recognize outdated now views. That yeah. That's horrible, except... But it's important to recognize that's how we used to think. And that's why we should watch them. Yes, absolutely. And that's why they should not get 
erased. We need to watch them. You need to watch They Died With Their Boots On and watch that Mm -hmm. and recognize, holy shit, this is what we thought was real for a hundred years. Yep, yep, yep. And this is why we can't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) What do you got, Melissa? Take us off. Oh, let's see. Lawrence of Arabia. Yes! Yes! Hello, Peter O'Toole in your blue eyes. Oh, Lawrence of Arabia. Piercing sexiness. One of my very favorite films of all time. Right up there with Dead Alive. And (laughs) I love you so much. I love you so much for saying that out loud. Lawrence of Arabia, dead alive. Are you shitting me? Uh, the true tale of of Mr. Lawrence who went off to uh, join the Arabs and join them in their revolt against was it Turkey? I don't was it know. against Turkish forces. I don't know. I mostly I just remember. watched. The beautiful cinematography and his blue eyes. What's this about? I don't know. I want to touch myself. Yeah. So David Lean making this epic adventure in the desert with this Englishman who rides off to join the Bedouins. And um, it it, it is fascinating. The, The thing that I really, truly love about the film is that it really does kind of explore... Uh, especially when you get later into the story, it, it gets into the, um, are you truly doing this to save these people or are you just aggrandizing yourself? Is this British colonialism just manifesting itself as what you think is charity? Or, it, you know... It, or are you trying to really help us? Are you really trying to help these people? And... And it's what makes it great. Oh, and Omar Sharif, who who I adore um, as, as one of the Arab characters. And, of course, uh, Anthony Quinn um, There's being fantastic. There's a lot of fantastic greatness in that movie. Yeah, the cast is extraordinary. But I really love the second half of the movie where they start really exploring the... Um, the differences of culture there's so much nuance there especially for a movie of its time because this was the 60s and even though there was more and more cultural awareness in that time it wasn't nearly quite as nuanced especially in war movies it's good stuff i mean dear listeners if you have never seen lawrence of arabia if you've avoided it because you thought it sounded stuffy or anything like that no it's it's amazing. It is. It is engaging. It is an action oh, flick. Yeah, it's magnetic, and see it on the largest screen you can, yeah. even if it's a TV. And for God's sakes, make sure it's full screen. Yeah, not high definition. Pan and scan high definition. High def. Yes, like full the, panoramic view. And turn out the lights. Turn out the. the I'm seriously. The pictures are so goddamn gorgeous. And turn off your phone. It is one of the most <laughs> beautiful films ever made. Yes, it, it is gorgeous. So when I went to student teach, I was student teaching the Odyssey, and a friend of mine on Facebook was like, "You do realize that." Um, there is a translation by Lawrence mm-hmm. of Homer's The Odyssey. Really? Have you yeah. read it? And he's like, you should you should seek it out because it's one of the more um, poetic translations. So that's one of the things I keep is that Lawrence, because he was a British nobleman, he was well-educated in the classics. And one of the things he did before he died is he translated Homer's The Odyssey. And published it. 
He was he was very eloquent. Oh yeah, yeah. He couldn't have done it without it. Yeah, really. (laughs) It's past turn. I'm actually going to go for the 1989 Glory. Oh, that's not even on your goddamn list. No, because I started doing opening tabs, and I'm like, Glory, because we didn't have really a good Civil War movie. It's true. Yeah, and it's. Oh, it, and that is a movie that pisses me off. It's yes. not that the movie pisses me off. The situation it's about pisses me off. Which it should. That's the point. It yes. Oh, my God. It makes me just it's, angry. It is about the, uh, and again, it's based on reality, um, Massachusetts 54th Regiment, which was the first all-black regiment uh, that was allowed to fight, and it was from Massachusetts. And it is an amazing look at... The not even double standard. I mean, what is like double standard? I mean, I don't. I don't even know. We call that standard <laughs> of the reality of almost all of the people that were fighting. And this was several years into the war before they were even allowed to fight for the North. Obviously, they were never allowed to fight in the South. And they, the former slaves that, and the barely literate, but they were all desperate to try to fight because it meant more to them than to almost anybody else. Mm-hmm. And it has a an astonishing cast. Because it was Denzel Washington and Matthew Broderick and... Carrie Elwes, Morgan Elwes. Freeman. Yep. It was, it unfortunately was not up for Best Picture. That year? Yeah, but uh, a couple of the cast were up. Uh, Denzel Washington, I believe, won. Yeah. For yeah. His, uh, his, his... Supporting. Source. For supporting. Yes. Yes. Because black men aren't allowed to win best. <sighs> Have now, haven't they? He he has. He now. has. He has yeah. for, for training day. But anyways, the, um, the fact but that the they were... the fact was... that you can probably name on one hand all of the black men who have ever won an acting nomination. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Better than the one finger of the women who've been nominated for directing. <laughs> ding, ding. So anyways, uh, they they were not allowed to have uh, black. Oh, you pissed officers. me off and I'm pissed. <laughs> they were not allowed to have black officers. Yeah. Um, when the South found out that they were allowing blacks to um, fight, that they said any soldier that was black would not be captured and treated as a prisoner of war they would be shot on sight and any officer with those regiments would be shot on sight and buried in the same grave which is true that is what they did i still find it fascinating that people these days still have the gall to say that the the war was not about slavery it's mentioned (sighs) in i believe eight of the 11 states um uh orders of secession yeah it's specifically listed yeah it's amazing to me. Just yeah. also, amazing. I linked recently on my Facebook uh, a deconstruction by a scholar of such things that um, the Second Amendment is totally about slavery. It is. Mm-hmm. It's allowing the militias to gather up forces to track down runaway slaves. Mm-hmm. That the way it is worded is very specifically to allow slave states to to still have their right to track down slaves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, we got a twisted history in our past, people, and you need to be aware of it. <laughs> and while it may make you uncomfortable, you need to just acknowledge that we were assholes. We were goddamn fucking assholes. Yes, and the North 
wasn't that much better on a lot of things. Oh, no. Many no. people thought they shouldn't be slaves, but they shouldn't vote. Well, I mean, they, <laughs> should, they shouldn't be treated like shit, but, like, I don't we, want them around. We were only incrementally better. Like, yes. they're people, but not people you want next door. Right. But to be fair, they also had issues with the, oh, you're from Scotland, that's no good. Mm-hmm. But from, you know... England, that's okay. It's the same people. Yeah, I mean, this was still when... I could walk in between the nations (laughs) in a day, you know? When ethnicity actually mattered, it's a little bit like people cared that you were Italian. Yeah. What? What the hell? Yes. Really? Who wouldn't love some pasta and breadsticks? I don't understand why you would hate Italians. Oy. Oy. So many carbs for your joy. <laughs> I don't get it. Is it me? Am I next? I think it is your turn. It is. All right. I want to talk about Master and Commander. Yay! Yay! This is one of my feel-good movies. This is one of the movies I put on when I just want to watch a movie because I like it. Now, given what I think of when I think of Master and Commander... Please explain why it is on the war movie list. Because it is a movie about the Napoleonic Wars. All right. With Britain, Britain who, of course, had mastery of all the seas. Mm -hmm. And here they are. And the name of the film is Master and Commander, Commander, pardon me, uh, colon, the far side of the world. Mm -hmm. They are on the other side of South America. They go through the horn in the film. Well, yeah. And they and, land in the Galapagos. And But the orders they have received is, are if you find any French boats, you are to capture them because Napoleon. Mm-hmm. Because fucking Napoleon. God damn him all the goddamn hell. Napoleon. The reason why I love this, I do, I fucking love this film is it is such a beautiful representation of what it was like to be on a sailing ship in that time period Mm -hmm. and there's no fucking token women at all nope like just admit it there were no women around it's okay it's okay there are no women around no goddamn token women being quote strong quote fuck that shit i'm just saying you said token women and all i heard was tolkien and i'm like oh tario (laughs) same thing same thing Uh, it's got russell crowe and paul bettany in a kirk spock relationship yep and they are so delightful together the way they are foils for each other it is a beautiful representation of what the military was at that time which a lot of us don't recognize and then uh, on top of all of that gorgeousness there's an actual like war being waged on the French and then they encounter the French and they have battles at sea mm-hmm. on tall sailing ships. And it's beautiful. And yeah, I, I, oh, I goddamn love that movie. I love it so much. <laughs> it's I, a very good movie. I read the actual book it was based on uh-huh. and it is Written very much in the style of journals of the day, which makes it very hard to read. Mm -hmm. To the point that, and this is saying a lot, I gave the book away. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, Wendy. I know, right? (laughs) When you know me, you know that that's huge. Like, I read the book. I recognized what it was. And I went, 
I don't like this book and I'm going to give it away. But did you finish the book first? I did. Okay. I did finish the book, but it's, it's very hard to read. It's very, it's very technical. What the movie does brilliantly is it takes the technicalities of what it was like to sail on these ships and all the realities of that. And it makes it accessible and beautiful and an adventure and epic. And yeah, just fucking watch it. Mm -hmm. If you've never seen Master and Commander, it's a beautiful film and it will make you wish to Christ that you could be on a sailing ship. I I love Paul Bettany's character. Oh, he's so great. The the part with the Galapagos Islands just rips me apart every time. It it, it really does. It's (laughs) so great. Paul Bettany is so, he is your voice in the film. Yeah. And what Russell Crowe is, is I'm sorry, I am under orders. Mm -hmm. It is not that I am heartless. And that's what's beautiful. Yeah. They don't make him heartless. He's like, I don't have a choice. I am required to go after this ship. I am required to do these things. But, 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 says Paul Bettany. He's like, I cannot say no. Mm-hmm. By law, I cannot say no. I have to do these things. Mm-hmm. And it and it's just so great. I love the goddamn film. It's one of my, when you're sick and want to watch a movie films, I watched that one. I also love the fact that it shows the breadth of the experiences. There's the sea battles, which are hectic. There's a storm, which is life-threatening. Yeah. Almost more than the battle. Yeah. There's- and then there's the... The doldrums. And they're stuck without a puff of wind for like a week. And they're starting to run out of supplies because they can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's boring they, as hell. The, the mythology, <laughs> the way they show you in a way that is very specific that men of high birth were put on ships to be officers. And even though they were only 10 years old, they outranked men who were three times their age because those men were of lower class. Mm -hmm. Yes. And how that plays out. And it becomes fascinating. And so it becomes a very realistic view of a world that we have forgotten and of a class system that we have forgotten. And that's why it becomes important because you need to understand the past to understand the present and that's why you should watch it because it becomes fascinating. It makes you want to look up more information about that shit. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. Also, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany <laughs> is amazing. He's so great. It does also have uh, Dominic Monaghan. No, wait. No, 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 no. It's not Dominic Monaghan. Billy it's, Boyd. It's Billy Boyd. Yes. Yes. Good times. Good times, y'all. Master and Commander. If you've not watched it, you have been missing out. What do you got, Melissa? Well, I was actually going to uh, note that when I did go to the Galapagos, I did stand on one of the islands and go, uh, Russell Crowe's ship goes there. <laughs> <laughs> because that is the exact strait I saw in the oh, movie. Oh, I'm so there's jealous. A, there's a photo of me with that strait. <laughs> I am so jealous. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm calling up a list of the Galapagos Islands right now because I need to re- refresh my memory of... Now, weren't they planning on making a series of them? Yeah, and the first one didn't do well enough to... Mastering Commander, colon, The Far Side of the World. It's actually a mashup of two different O'Brien novels. Mastering Commander and The Far Side of the World are two different novels. Oh. And that's why the colon. Bartolome. Bartolome is the uh, island I was on. 
and that's where the street was. But yeah, you literally- had so many adventures, my friend, and I am <laughs> so incredibly jealous. Except that I have had adventures too, so it becomes a little bit disingenuous for me to be jealous. Were you on Batalame with uh, the amazing James Randi? No. Okay. I was not. <laughs> However, I was at Troublemaker Studios. True. And see, and touching the little pussy wagon. Okay. So I can't complain. Yeah, true. Right? True. So, yeah. I feel like your adventures have been very epic, though. They have been. <laughs> oh, look at that. Just, they have been. They have been. Matter of fact. All right, fine. I'm going right. to bring it. I'm going to bring it. Fuck you. I'm going to bring it. <laughs> Start talking about movies while I sit here is, and is it plot my turn? your demise. It is. It is your it, turn. Okay. <clears throat> My next pick is Bridge on the River Kwai. <gasps> yes, of yes. course. Yes. Oh. Yay. Do 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 I can't whistle. Hitler has only got one ball. Hitler's is got one, but it's very small. No, no, it's it get, it's Hitler has, has only, only one fun ball. Gehring had two, but, but they were small. Uh, Himmler, Himmler has something similar, and Goebbels has no balls at all. No balls at all. Come on. <laughs> there are many, many variants. There are variants. There are variants. My so. dad loved singing that song all the damn time. Okay, so Bridge on the River Kwai. Bridge on the River Kwai. Yes. So Sir Alec Guinness, being his very Sir Alec Guinnessius best. Hi, Moby Wan. And um, what's his name? Susu Hokagawa as uh, the the commander of the Japanese internment camp. Uh, Hayakawa. Hayakawa. Sorry. Okay, so it is a prisoner of war camp in Japan where. Uh, well, it's not in Japan. They're in Laos or one of the similar countries. I believe it was there. on Sri Lanka, wasn't it? It may have been Sri Lanka. It wasn't filmed there, but I believe it was. It's based on a an actual event that happened there. Yeah, it's based on an actual thing, uh, an actual bridge that got built. But um, yeah, I'm really testing my memory here. I know I did a real education episode on this film, and all that knowledge has been gone. Um, Burma. Burma. According to this, Burma. it's Burma. Burma. Which is Myanmar. Yeah. Which is not an island. Nope. It is a. It is part of a peninsula. Yes, it is. But, uh, so, Japanese prisoner of war camp, where they're taking British prisoners and making them build a train trestle across the River Kwai. With Wo- William Holden. With William Holden, and uh, being uh, the token American. And Alec Guinness is the head British captain of the camp. And so he's meeting with, you know, after some resistance over how his people are being treated, he starts collaborating with the Japanese captain. And it, it starts being... It starts turning into he's got so much. Uh, uh, Sir Alec Guinness has so much pride in his people, and he's he's and basically the work they have done and how the well they, they have, have done, done it, and how well they have done. It. He has essentially colluded with the Japanese army. <laughs> like I'll fucking show you how British people build a goddamn bridge. They build it really fucking well. Oh shit! I built a bridge for the Japanese. Yes, and that that is pretty much the whole crux of the movie. But I, I love that exploration of pride, like and, and, and how that, pride becomes a moment of hubris of, 
that's great that you needed to feel pride in what you do and to keep yourself going. But by the fact of your pride, you have helped the enemy. <laughs> you have contributed to your own downfall. But he's Congratulations. also, he also have the thing where he was ordered to surrender. Right. And it's also the kind of the, if you go into the geek thing, the lawful good thing of the rules of order are the Geneva prisoner of war conduct Mm -hmm. that you have to follow. And it says there, and that's part of the whole crux of the Japanese don't want to follow those rules. And he's like, I will follow all of these rules. And it says, if you are offered work, you must work. Mm -hmm. So he's like, but I must work. And if I was going to die because of these rules, I will make sure that we will work perfectly because of these rules. And, and, but you know, working with that framework, he, he becomes more of a monster almost than the Japanese guy who, you know, his, his character is really interesting too. Yes. Because he, he becomes, you know, through the course of this movie, he becomes kind of fascinated and horrified by what Alec Guinness's character has become. And it, it's just, it's fascinating. Well, it's a fascinating the, movie. The British need for self-pride becomes more important than anything else. Yeah. And it becomes awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's such a great movie. It's, it's so, so It's so amazing. Fucking deep. I just realized I just picked two David Lean movies. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Kind of the same era. All right, Pat, it's up to you. All right. Oh, geez, my last one, I was between two. But I think I'm going to go for the silly. I am going to go with Father Goose. Oh my oh. god. <laughs> wow. 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 What that a pick. is Okay, I'm going to put listeners, we were making lists before we started this podcast so we would be prepared. Pat had twice the number of entries and two of the movies that she has chosen are nowhere on there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, just put it all down. I'll decide later. So I did. And as I'm going through this, I'm like, oh, I got to do this one instead. Oh, I got to do this one instead. So I am. We're talking about silliness. And it is a Cary Grant, uh, uh, Leslie um, uh, Caron. Is it Leslie Caron? I thought yes. it was Sid Charisse. No. No, trust me. No, I, have I, it up I there. mean, you've got no, the Wikipedia. No, no, no. But even before that, no, it's not Sid Charisse. It's Leslie Caron and a rather older Cary Grant. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a set in World War II. Um, he is a beachcomber, lays about, doesn't want to be involved in the war, basically gets tricked and marooned on an island in the Pacific, and he's meant to be a spotter, which is people who are waiting on, live on these little islands that are usually too small for the Japanese to worry about, and they spot uh, ship movements and mostly airplane movements so that they can call in and let the allies know what is happening. Mm-hmm. And he's not happy with this. And he's a drunkard and a slob and all the craziness. And then he is forced to, um, or encouraged to go on a rescue mission for an Island, like two islands over where there was a plane crash where Leslie Carone is a beautiful, um, kind of a headmaster of a group of girls that are from a an embassy that she's trying to escape, I believe trying to get them out and it is a romantic comedy because she's this prissy 
kind of school marmy. I will not be tolerating having you be sloppy and drunken and <laughs> swearing around all these lovely girls. And they eventually fall in love. And it, I was noticing, I did not know this, but it is, uh, it won best screenplay. Wow. Huh. I was really shocked. I mean, it's not the best movie ever. It is fun. Nice. It's the kind of thing that when it's on, I will sit and watch the rest of. Well, there is a whole, um, there is a whole cottage industry of World War II comedies that came out. Oh, yes. Yes. There were a ton of them. And Operation Petticoat. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Like, oh, look, that's so funny the way that they're all like doing that thing and finding women, huh? Mr. Roberts? Mr. Roberts. Yeah. 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 But on the town. Yeah, even on the town. Yeah. <laughs> or the after effects of I Was a Male War Bride. Yes. That's a charming movie. That is very that is very delightful. Oh, Carrie Grant and Drag. Is it mine next? It's yours yes. next. Okay. Well then my last film is Valkyrie. Yay! Yeah. Going for your World War Two the war. Right, the war, the war, like every other war film, isn't quite a war film until it's a fucking World War Two war film. Rah! Well, the stakes were so high in World War Two. <laughs> the I stakes mean, I, were very high. It I, was very much evil versus good. Yeah, it was the last movie in America. Last movie, the last war in American history where we can unequivocally say, "Yeah, we were on the right side of that." Like we were the good guys there. Like the Nazis were definitively bad guys. Yeah. And actually, so are the Japanese, but in a different way. But in a different yeah, way. Yeah, agreed. So Valkyrie has Tom Cruise being kind of amazing. Here's the thing about Tom Cruise. He's a really fucking good actor. Well, it, and the, the, here, here's the thing that doomed Valkyrie at the box office, right? So first of all, people were kind of fatigued with Tom Cruise at, the point, at that point in time. But also, they saw the trailer with Tom Cruise with an eye patch, and they went, oh, the you know, Tom Cruise with an eye patch, how gauche. And but the thing is, if you look at the photos of the real guy that he is playing, Tom Cruise is kind of perfect because the guy he's playing is the real guy in history was this German pretty boy um, with this incredible war record, and he he was Mister Perfect. And he decided to carry out this assassination plot. Because he's he recognized. Could. Because as he's fighting this war, he's like, my commander-in-chief is fucking wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And he... We, he, are, fi- we are continuing to fight a war that we cannot win. Mm-hmm. And it's so great. And it's a part of history that doesn't get mentioned in classrooms. Mm-hmm. I went through all of my you know, high school history and I loved history. I mm-hmm. went through all of my college history and I loved history. And it wasn't until goddamn Valkyrie that I went, wait, there were assassination attempts on Hitler by Germans. Yeah. And nobody fucking told me. Yeah. You had the wrong teachers. I'm just saying. <laughs> but that's the thing is a good movie, a good movie makes you want to learn more. Mm-hmm. And that's the great thing about a good war movie. Like Master and Commander made me go look up the Napoleonic Wars on Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. Valkyrie made me look up 
assassination attempts on Hitler on Wikipedia. It made me go looking for more information because, wait, this happened? Mm -hmm. Holy shit, this happened. Okay, I'm less pissed at... I guess I'm less pissed at the Germans. The Austrians still can go suck. <laughs> yeah. They can suck my dick. But but beyond that, the movie is, is really super solid. I it's, mean, it's really great. And it, it I is, got the best shirt of my life out of that goddamn movie. I love that shirt. I love that shirt so I, much. We all got shirts from... Okay, so Valkyrie uh, aired a, aired, screened at one of the Buttonomathons. And uh, we all got Valkyrie shirts. And they are, they are the most comfortable sweatshirts And and we all love them. Yes. They're so good. And soft. Yes. Soft and drapey and comfy. And And they say Valkyrie right across the chest. And they're beautiful and wonderful. And Tom Cruise goddamn delivers the goods in that film. Yeah. If you've never seen Valkyrie, for whatever reason, maybe it's because you hate Tom Cruise, which I understand because he's a fucking whack job. But Tom Cruise is a really good movie star. Yeah. I'm and he's, kind of, he's very good in this movie. He, like, he is kind of exi- to the point where Tom Cruise, on as a person, I'm like, you're fucking crazy. Tom Cruise shows up in a movie, and I'm like, it's probably pretty good, and I should watch it. Well, like his performance in Tropic Thunder? <laughs> <laughs> There's a war movie There's for you. There's a war movie. <laughs> Edge, of, Edge of Tomorrow? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. he's... Really good. Yeah. He's amazing. Magnolia and Magnolia. No, no, yeah, he's like, a tremendous actor. He's a tremendous actor who happens to be bug nuts crazy. Yeah. Don't let the fact that he's bug nuts crazy get in the way of you watching Valkyrie, which is great. Mm-hmm. And the other actors that are in, I was looking up here. You got Kenneth Branagh, Bill mm-hmm. Nighy, Eddie Izzard, Terrence Stamp, and Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, what's not to fucking like? Directed by Brian Singer. Yes. Up, 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 up. Opt, 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 opt. Yeah, that's what I said. I said it. <laughs> like, holy shit. And this, I, I would put this under the underappreciated category. Okay. I agree with you. What do you got, Melissa? I got the big red one. The big red one, which sounds like a dick joke. It sounds like a porn <laughs> film, doesn't it? It really does. Okay, so 1980. Uh, this is a movie that Harry Knowles is making us all watch, and I'm the first one to have watched it. At this point, Wendy and Pat have not seen it. We have not. They will. I've they been will. a little bit busy. Yeah. So, The Big Red One, uh, 1980 stars uh, Lee Marvin. Yes. Yeah! Emperor and, of the North. And a, and a young Mark Hamill. Yes. Oh. One of the people. And, and and at least one Carradine, because um, Carradine content was strong in the 70s and 80s. Yes, it was. Yeah, like, uh, you couldn't get away from a film without a Carradine. <laughs> yeah, goddamn Carradines. Uh, they were everywhere. But uh, directed by Samuel Fuller, who did stuff like Pick Up on South Street. And ah. uh, oh, now I'm going to blank on everything else he's ever done. Uh, f- phenomenal director. Of I could look it up, but I have been drinking. Yeah, basically, uh, Samuel Fuller went off to war during uh, World War II and had many, many wartime misadventures uh, of um, both entertaining and horrifying caliber. And the Big Red One is basically based on those experiences. And the original film, I think he turned in a four-hour cut and he had to cut it down dramatically. So most of the time you see a two-hour cut um, that's actually what I watched the other night, but there is a restored version that's out now that I haven't gotten my hands on yet. A B-Net film we have all seen by Samuel Fuller, White Dog. 
Yes, White Dog no. was also... Well, we also saw a pickup on South Street. We did. So, yes, he did White Dog as well. Um, very interesting director. Uh, very interesting writer, too. But uh, the bigger end one is World War II. It's uh, basically Lee Marvin leading a small little legion of guys across uh, various theaters of World War II. Um, they wind up in Italy at one point. They are in D-Day at one point. They wind up uh, in Czechoslovakia at one point. And it, it's very episodic, you know, partially because it's been cut down so dramatically. But there are very interesting moments of levity, especially with Lee Marvin in them. There, there's one scene where... Um, it, this is kind of the tone of the film, okay? So they're they're in this Italian town, and there are like five people in the court group, right? And everybody else is expendable. Literally, they talk about this like there are four guys who have both luck and knowledge by this point that they can pretty much survive, but anybody else they add to the group is like a red shirt. They just die. <laughs> and so one of the one of the red shirts goes out, and uh, he he goes to get water, and he steps on a mine, and boom. And he's still alive. He's laying on the ground. And Lee Marvin goes up to him and he goes, Ah, don't worry. It's just a, these mines aren't meant to kill her. They're just meant to castrate you. And the guy goes, Castrate? And he goes, Yeah. Oh, there it is. And Lee Marvin picks something up off the ground. He goes, Oh my God. And he goes, No, it's just your testicle. That's why God gave you two. And he chucks it over his shoulder. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And it's Lee Marvin delivering this because it's amazing. <laughs> so that's kind of the tone of the film. There, there are these... It's just a testicle. That's why God gave you two. That's why God gave you two. You'll live. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> and, uh, there, there, there's a moment where, you know, they, they clear a bunch of Germans out of another Italian town. And uh, the there are pretty much only women left in the town now. So one of the little girls like runs off with Lee Marvin's helmet and comes back with it decorated in flowers <laughs> and she gives it back to him and Lee Marvin kind of looks at it and one of the guys goes oh you'll be an easy target for the Germans with that on he goes I like the smell and he puts it on <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's just got this wonderful tone to it 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 swings widely from these really deeply dramatic moments some really dark stuff and then these I've Moments got flowers on my helmet. And and so many of the stories are so strange they can only be true. It's that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. It's it's I a fascinating watch. I know I've seen it before. Yeah. But it's been so long I don't remember it, so I can't wait to watch it again. No, it, it's it's super interesting. Um, like I said, it, it comes off a little choppy just because it's been cut down so dramatically from the original cut. But I'd say that's the only flaw in it. Mm-hmm. Does Pat have one more pick? Ooh. Well, in that case, I'll end with the imitation game. (gasps) Good choice. Oh, bravo. Yeah, well done. Because it's a a World War II uh, movie. Uh, The war to end all wars, except it didn't. It it didn't. It didn't. They never do. Oddly. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Anyways, the uh, it's about Alan Turing, um, who was an amazing codebreaker, and his work with a gr- bunch of other people to break the German code machine, the Enigma. It's really well done. I yeah. fucking love it. It's it's a it's an amazing movie with Benedict 
Pumpernickel is uh, <laughs> Bandy Snatch Cumbernat. <laughs> yes, that guy. Um, yes. Sherlock. <laughs> I love Smaug. his name. Smaug. Smaug. No, he is super good as Alan Turing. He is fantastic yeah. as Alan Turing, and it was at one point in time considered an unbreakable code. Yeah. Because of how it was done. It was electronic. It had electronic components. It had movable pieces so that you could constantly be turning the dials in different directions. And you needed a code book to know what the setting was. Mm-hmm. And, the, and, and the settings were basically the... I, I've actually seen one of the Enigma machines. They're amazing. But they, yes. they've got these wires in the front with these plugs. And you move the plugs to the different settings. So basically the plugs are wiring. So you crosswire all the letters yourself. But the it it's like the daily setting between the the subs and German high command, and then it wasn't from just there. The, it was yeah all the commands out in the field yeah. And how did they break it? <laughs> That's the most beautiful part about it. That is the moment of gorgeousness, both in the movie and in the true story. How did they break it? The recognition that every German communique ended with. Heil Hitler. Mm-hmm. So. We know what the last constructs of every message are. And if that's Heil Hitler, everything else becomes clear. Yep. It becomes a lot easier to backtrace because they had ha- they captured a machine. Mm-hmm. They had it, but they had no idea how to figure out the code. Yeah. Well, Because it, it was too complicated. It was, there was too many options because every night they switched the codes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we know that the last thing that, that they send on every message is... Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful moment in the movie, and it's a true moment, and that's what makes it beautiful. Because it's just like, <laughs> are you kidding me, Germans? You did so much right, and this is what goddamn tripped you up. Seriously. Ah, <laughs> uh, fucking love that movie. Um, I know just about just enough about cryptography to be dangerous. Um, the thing I'm that really fascinated me about the film is kind of these casual visual, almost name drops of different uh, uh, cryptography uh, methods that they were trying out and having some success with. Like there was this Polish method, like in the movie you see uh, people fiddling around with like uh, overhead projector transparencies. They have circles and, and shaded out parts. And those were like a specific grid system that uh, would overlay each other um, to help break the codes prior to the invention of the machine that eventually helped England break the code. Yes. Um, also, I mean, they did kind of this reference to the to the women who were helping the uh, the efforts, but I mean, they kind of gloss over the fact there were like six hundred women working in a code breaking uh, department helping this team. They kind of gloss over that part, you know. Yeah. But uh, it, it's interesting seeing the parts that they did include. Um, just these little hints to the much bigger story that actually is It wasn't there. just the group of four people. Yeah. It was a huge group of people. It was people. a huge group of people. Well, but I do, I do for as much as it's manufactured conflict, yes. yeah. I do 100% believe that Turing was like, this is what we have to do. And that the establishment was like, this is bullshit. 
Well, well, Turing, Turing was the nexus of um, of the the inspiration that solved the whole thing, but there was more to it than just him. Yeah, I mean, it, w- it was an enormous team of people. Yeah, um, dear listeners, there is a great Neil Stevenson book called Cryptonomicon. It's really good. It's really super good. And if now Neil Stevenson can't end a book to save his life, so this like stop true. stop fifty pages from the end, and you'll be much happier. Or read but, it to the end, but understand that that's not the end. Yeah, that the 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 end's gonna suck. But um, he gets super super nerdy about the cryptography angle, and he's really good at explaining how it all worked and how it was solved and it's it's a great it's a pretty great novel right up until the end and something else actually this is something wendy told me about it's the uh tv series from bbc that was gonna be my xanadu pick for the week oh Oh, i'll let you you do that well let us since we're pretty much done with the movies let us transition to your pick what is your pick wendy my xanadu pick and it is on netflix listeners you can as of this moment watch it on netflix for yourself it is called bletchley circle Yes. And it is a BBC series about a bunch of women, fuck yeah, (laughs) being detectives and crime solvers. So it's all these women who, um, they were a team at Bletchley, which was, of course, the code-breaking arm of the, um, the British intelligence. And when they got done with the war, they had to just pretend they had never been smart and go off and have regular lives be housewives Mm -hmm. and that's the other part that's enjoyable is that the main character is like hello i'm just this woman who likes to do crossword puzzles because i'm your wife and yes i worked during the war but it wasn't anything important blah 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 and there is a moment when she because there's a serial killer Mm -hmm. that is happening after the war and she gets together her old team of bletchley circle compatriots for them to solve what's going on Mm -hmm. and to use all of the code breaking skills they use during the war to solve this problem of the serial killer and it's super great i haven't watched series two yet i cannot vouch for its quality but series one is super fantastic and there is a moment when she's like nobody will listen to me as a woman so i will get my husband who was in the army to believe me and take me in And so she and her husband go in with like, look, this serial killer is doing this shit. It's a serial killer. It's not just random events. And the captain of police is like, yes, 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 yes. That's so delightful. I'm, yes, thank you for bringing her in. We'll send her home, captain. It's okay. We understand. And the captain goes off and then he turns to her and goes, yes, I've read your file and you were at Bletchley. And your husband doesn't know. (laughs) <laughs> does he okay what have you got to show me yes. <laughs> it's so good so yeah. it's even more than that it's the whole i know you can't tell me yes because if you confirm this information you're breaking the british secrecy act i have the <laughs> feeling that you did things during the war that you can't tell me is this true yes <laughs> Alrighty then. So, proceeding upon that assumption, let us go forward. <laughs> it's so great. The first season of Bletchley Circle is so satisfying, and you should watch it, listeners. So very nice. All right. Um, who's next with a recommendation for the Xanadu Pleasure Dome? I've got one. What have you got, Melissa? I have an iPhone game. Yay! 
An iPhone game? iPhone game? What? Shocking. A, a game you play on your iPhone? It, it It is a game called Rules. I feel like this satisfies your OCD. Well, kind of. Um, <laughs> okay, so Rules is a game where it, it gives you it, an instruction. It says, uh, remove all unicorns or something like that. And then it gives you a, a four by four grid with um, little tiles that have um, like monsters or unicorns or telephones or, you know, little image on them and plus a number. And so like the unicorn 10 um, it is like number 10 and you tap all the unicorns and then um, then you're done with the board. Well, the thing is, as as you complete a board, you get another rule to go to the next board. So you get a shake the phone if you see monsters. And if you see monsters on the next board, you shake the phone. And then you have to proceed to the previous rule and clear the rest of the board. And proceed to the previous rule and clear the rest of the board. And so you have to remember all the rules in succession. So it becomes progressively harder because you're trying to remember. It's like, okay, now I have to clear all unicorns, now even numbered cats. And then I have to shake if I see red monsters. And then I have to clear all the rest of the numbers in descending order. Got it. Okay, now I have to remove all the birds. And then I have to remove all the unicorns. And then... (laughs) Oh, that sounds so fun. And it, it, it becomes really hard really fast. When do you play all these games? When I'm waiting for computers to process, usually. <laughs> Other computers to process. I don't understand how you play all these games, Melissa. Well, they're they're not like civilization or anything. I mean, I can complete a game of rules in like three minutes because then it's like, fuck, I don't remember. Duh, and I'm done. <laughs> oh, look, I'm done processing. Now I can go back to work. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, oh, you're fascinating to me. <laughs> you and your epic life. See, I have a game for this, Ooh. but my game is a board game. Ooh, bring it, bring it. Like what do you got? playing with people in meat space. What? In, in actual real space. It's a meat game. Oh, what is it your... is called the Downfall of Pompeii. Oh. Uh, As in, like, Vesuvius goes boom and yeah. Pompeii the city goes away. Yeah. It is a board game based really loosely on the events. Okay. <laughs> Jazz hands. Is there a volcano? Yes. Yes. You actually set up a volcano. <gasps> And as you're removing pieces from the board, usually your opponent's pieces, you pick them up and you throw them in the volcano oh to my get god. rid of them. Oh my god. It I is want... such a fun... I will be bringing it this weekend to the wedding. Yes. Yes. It is, a, it is a fun game. It is super, super simple. I've been to Pompeii and the layout of the board is very similar to actually the layout of what it actually okay. looks like. That's kind of creepy. What? You're like, I've been to Pompeii, and this is how people really died there. No! I said <laughs> that the layout of the board of the city. I'm sorry. I, oh, feel, like, so, I feel like my interpretation was also accurate. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, they're little cubes. They're not like rictuses of... <laughs> Still not helping. <laughs> Dear listeners, there were gestures, and they were very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so the first half of the game is um, years before there was a nasty earthquake that leveled a lot of the city, which is true. And then you, we are all, all the players are trying to get people to move into the city. 
You're trying to recruit people in the first half of the... Oh, it's so sexy here. You should live in Pompeii. Come here, live in Pompeii. Hey, let's move over here. Hey, people, come on over and... Because you want to have more I've got some condos. And then, oh no, something horrible happens. (laughs) And then at that time, the game switches over from trying to get people in to trying to get as many people as you can out as the volcano erupts and lava flows yes i know lava isn't what killed people it doesn't matter it's the game the mechanic of the game so you get to you're randomly taking out tiles for lava and they're blocking exits or making other people die because you're like oh look you didn't run these people fast enough (laughs) it's all about the sound effects and then you oh no and toss them into the volcano The whole game is half hour, 45 minutes. Nice. This is brilliant. I love this. I and love everything a, about this. It's a great game. The only thing is it just don't be with somebody who's like, oh, ah, uh, e, because the game mechanic is really easy of how to move. There's no dice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just the whole, no, really. If there's three people here, you get three moves. If there's two people on that one, you get two moves. Really easy. So... Just move something. <laughs> Don't think, just move. Just move. It'll only hurt the game. This game goes better if everybody moves quickly. Yes. Because flowing lava. Because flowing lava. <laughs> Hot ah! lava. Yeah, okay. I can't help it. All right. All right. So we, we should wrap this up. We've been we've been recording yeah. for a while. So what? So do we have a conclusion about war movies or should we just end this thing? War movies are super satisfying. I agree. Right, they become a reflection of the conflict and of our culture at the time. Indeed. Like, if you watch uh, Vietnam War films made at the time and then Vietnam War films made 10 years later, they reflect two very different sensibilities. And that is why you should watch war films, because our conflicts define us and our perception of what that conflict is about define us. That's way deep. I couldn't help it. I've been drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm smart, motherfuckers. (laughs) Fuck you. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. All right, dear (laughs) listeners, we will see you next week on Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I have been Melissa, and this has been... Wendy! And we have been joined by the fabulous... Pat! Yay! Yay! Go watch war movies. Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. just texted me but except i think he texted me like hours ago i'm sorry honey <laughs> <laughs>